Well, that was awesome. When we uh, planned this, to me, to, to preach tonight many weeks ago, I didn't know that the, um, the kids' choir was going to um, sing. This is almost like children's ministry promotion night. So if you want to get involved in children's ministry, you come work with these wonderful kids, and you come hang out with me. There we go. Well, thanks so much for coming tonight. I'm Josh Stewart. I'm the children and family pastor here, in case you don't know who I am. And um, I have the awesome privilege to communicate God's word with, with each of you tonight. So um, without further ado, let's open up in a word of prayer. God, you're good, and you're holy. And we can proclaim that with great confidence because your word has revealed that to us. Uh, be with me tonight, God. I am an imperfect vessel, and you are a perfect God. And so I just pray, the Holy Spirit, that you would work through me, through my weakness, that you're made strong, um, through everything that you're glorified. And just help our hearts to be open to what your word has to say to us tonight. And just help us give us focus um, and be glorified. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, when I was about seven or eight years old, rollerblades became the big deal. This was the mid to late 90s. And I'm not sure if it was when they came out or they just made a comeback or whatever the case was, but rollerblades were, all the cool kids had them. So I have, I have a picture of rollerblades in case you don't know what they are. There they are. And they were awesome. And all the kids who were seven or eight wanted them. And Christmas was coming around the corner. And I couldn't wait to have rollerblades. So put on my Christmas list for, list for Santa. And when I was growing up, I kind of had two Christmas lists. One of them was more of a realistic Christmas list that if you put something on it, you're probably going to get it. And then there was like, I wish I could have this Christmas list. And in my mind, these rollerblades were on that list. So I was hoping, anticipating, but I thought maybe, you know, these are kind of a big purchase. Santa's got a lot of kids he has to visit, so maybe this won't be for me. Well, I woke up Christmas morning of that year. I run downstairs with the rest of my family, and we're just going through gifts. And we're looking, and we're excited, and I got a lot of awesome things. But one thing I didn't get was my rollerblades. But I had a, I had a lot of good gifts, so I didn't want to, you know, be too disappointed. And so kind of towards the end of us unraveling these gifts, my dad comes around the corner, and he's got a big black garbage bag. And he comes in the room and he starts pulling things out of this garbage bag, just pulling them out one by one. And lo and behold, he pulls out brand new rollerblades. And actually, the picture of these rollerblades were very similar to the ones that I got. I looked it up um, on Google. And looking back, they're a little girly, and they might have even been girl rollerblades. <laughs> but at the time, it didn't matter. I got brand new rollerblades. I mean, you know, I'm trying them on in the living room on Christmas morning. I'm going outside in the coming days, in the coming weeks, and I'm telling everyone about these rollerblades. I'm playing street hockey in them. I'm just going around our cul-de-sac as much as I can. I feel like I was out for all hours of the night with these rollerblades, and everyone that I came across knew that I got rollerblades for Christmas. I could not wait to tell them about it. I could not wait to say, you guys see what I got? What did you get for Christmas? I don't care. I got rollerblades. And just, it was just so much excitement and so much joy. And most of us in this room have had something in our lives that we were so excited about that we couldn't help but tell other people. You know, maybe you got engaged in your new beautiful wedding or engagement ring. You had to go and tell everybody about it. Or you bought a new car or maybe you bought your first house, and just, you're always telling people you're excited, it comes up in conversations naturally, because you bring it up in conversations naturally, and you're just, it's, it's great, and it's awesome, and I think there's a lot of material things that we can be very excited about, like rollerblades, or wedding rings, or new houses, and new cars, 
whatever else it might be. But I think what we should be most excited about are spiritual things. And it's a great God who has come and redeemed us. And so we're going to see today um, kind of this angle of excitement that we have towards material things how even more we should be excited about the spiritual things in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 1, towards the end of John chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 43 through 51. I'm going to be reading out the ESV version. I think you have NIV in the pews, um, and you might have brought your, your own translation, but let's see what the Word of the Lord has to say, starting in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. Oh, hold on, wrong path. Oh, sorry, follow me. Now Philip was in the city of Andrew and Peter. Oh, this is, sorry, let me read out the the actual Bible. I messed my notes up. All right. Bible, this is the NIV version. The next day Jesus decided to leave from Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found him who Moses wrote about the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you where you're still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said to him, You believe because I said I saw you under a fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we see two actions here in this passage. And the first action we see is that Christ found somebody. And the second action we see is that the person that Christ found goes and he tells other people about him. The title of the sermon tonight is Found People, Find People. And we're going to see how we have an awesome God that finds us. And since he has found us, we should go and find other people and tell them about this wonderful God. So um, my first point here is Jesus finds us. Look what it says in verses 43 and 44. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. The Bible does not give a whole lot of detail of this interaction. We see that um, Philip is from Bethsaida, the same thing as Andrew and Peter, the same location. Andrew and Peter came to Christ just uh, verses before this. So they're both from the same area. They perhaps knew each other. And God comes to, Christ comes to Philip and he says, follow me. And that's all it takes. He says to him, Philip drops everything that he has and he begins to follow Christ. Now we're not sure at this moment if he knew exactly the extent of this call. Maybe he just thought he was going to take a journey around Galilee with Jesus. Maybe he thought he could just sit under the blessed rabbi for a short period of time. But what we do see here and what we do know is that Christ comes to Philip. He finds Philip. He calls Philip. And then Philip is obedient to the invitation that is given him. This was a remarkable invitation It was an invitation to walk with the most holy God, an invitation to come alongside the God-man and to do life with him, to interact with him, and to follow him wherever he was going to go. But see, the Bible didn't say anything unique about Philip. It just says he was from Bethsaida, which meant most likely he was a very common man. He was probably a fisherman, 
because a lot of people in Bethsaida were fishermen. But Jesus still, in his grace and his love, he came to him. He reached out to him, and he called for him. It was a very interesting interaction because of the Greek word here for found in other parts of the New Testament mean to actively seek out. It means to actively look for. Um, Jesus uses this when he goes into the temple and he's about to read a passage out of Isaiah and pretty much proclaim that he's the Christ. And it says that he goes and he found the passage that he was going to read. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing when he came and he found Philip. Even though there was nothing unique about him. Even though there was anything particular great about him. But out of his love and out of his grace and his goodness, he found him. And he called him. He said, follow me. So the question is, is this unique to Philip? Unique to this particular story? It's not. Because Peter tells us a very similar thing over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Listen what this has to say. Peter, speaking to us, speaking to the church, says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so Philip was called by God, and we are also called by God as well. Out of God's grace, out of his goodness, not because we're special, not because we're unique, but purely out of his love and his grace for us. He chose us, like it says in 1 Peter, to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It says he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. How amazing is that? That we have Jesus who finds us. That we have a God who actively searches out and he finds Philip and he found you today. How much joy and excitement that should bring to our lives, that we are chosen people, that we've been called out, of a dark, called out of darkness. Just imagine with me that you were at home one night, you're by yourself. If you live with anybody, they just happen to be out for the night. You're about to go to bed, got some candles burning because you, you think it's a pretty cool scene and you're just kind of relaxing. And you walk and you trip over a chair, you knock down this candle. And the moment the candle falls down, you knock yourself out. So you're knocked out on the ground and a candle hits the, fi- I mean, hits the carpet, flames go up. So the house starts to just catch on fire. You're knocked out. There's nothing you can do about it, and nobody's at home. But fortunately, you got a neighbor who's driving by in their car, and they look, and they see smoke, and they see fire, where immediately they jump out. By the time they get to your doorstep, the house is almost engulfed in flames. But instead of just waiting for the fire truck to get there or just hoping nobody's in there, They come in, they step into the house, they're going through all the chaos, they're going through the fire, things are falling down from the ceiling, and they run, and they find you, knocked out on the floor, and they grab you, they wrap their arms around you, and they drag you to safety. They save you, the house goes up in flames, you lose everything, but you're saved, you've been rescued. When you woke up from this, you know, state of being unconscious, how are you going to respond to the person that did that? You're going to be excited. You're going to be joyful. You're going to give them hugs. You're going to embrace them. You might even buy them a gift. You might say that you, you owe them something huge. You're going to be so thrilled and so excited that someone took the effort to come and rescue you when you were in the midst of death, in the midst of chaos and darkness with no hope. They came and they rescued you. Now, that's just an illustration of exactly what God has done for us. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our chaos, he found you. You didn't stumble upon him. He found you. 
intentionally found you and he has rescued like it says he you're a chosen people you're a royal priesthood you're a holy nation he called you out of darkness into his marvelous night once you had not received mercy but now we have received mercy once you were not his people now we become God's people how amazing is that and my hope is that you just see that you have Jesus who has found you that just leads you to joy, that leads you to praise, that leads you giving him glory and honor because he is amazing. Jesus found you. Praise God that Jesus has found you. Just like Jesus found Philip, Jesus has found us as well. And so what does that mean for you today? You know, some people in this room, maybe you've never understood that concept before that Jesus has found you. Maybe it's reaching out for the first time. It's embracing for the first time that you are in darkness, that you are in sin, and it's only because of the work of Christ that you're able to be rescued from that. So you're embracing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been a Christian a very long time, and this is just being a fresh reminder to your soul of the links and the crazy depths that Jesus went to save you, and that he found you. You're unique, you're special. And I hope this leads your heart to joy. I hope this leads your heart to praise, that you want to give God all the glory and all the praise because he has saved you. And not only does I hope it leads your heart to praise, but hopefully it makes you want to go tell others about him. So we see that Jesus has found us, and not only now that he has found us, we are called to go find other people. It says down in verses 45 through 46, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then Philip said to him, Come and see. So God call, Christ calls Philip. Philip comes to Christ and they have some sort of interaction. We don't know how long it is. We don't know exactly what occurred there. But we do know that it was enough to convince Philip that Jesus was the Messiah. So he runs and he goes and he tells Nathaniel. He says, we have found him who Moses talked about and the prophets talked about. So in the time of Christ, there is an anticipation this, this Messiah, this Christ, or this Savior was going to come. The Old Testament talks about this, the one that is coming. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses says that one greater than himself will come. A greater prophet than himself will come. We see in Isaiah chapter 9 that this this God person is going to come and the government will be on their shoulders and they will be called Almighty God, which is a pretty big claim. We see in Isaiah 52 and 53 about the suffering servant, the ones who the sins of the people will be upon him. We see in Daniel chapter 7, the ones coming, like the Son of Man, this God-like figure that is coming in other parts of the Old Testament that anticipate this Messiah. So they're longing for this Messiah to come. We also see this in the New Testament. When Jesus interacts with the woman at the well um, in John um, chapter 4, she's talking with Jesus and she's interacting. And she says to him, one's going to come, the Christ, the Messiah, and he's going to teach us all things. And Jesus reminds her that he's the one, that he's the Christ, that he's the Messiah. Even John the Baptist sends messengers to Jesus and he says, hey, are you the one that we're supposed to you know, anticipate coming. I thought you were, but are you, are you this one? Are you the Messiah? Or should we expect somebody else? And then Jesus confirms it by quoting from Isaiah that he is the one. So there's anticipation that his Messiah is coming. And Philip's interaction with Jesus was enough to convince him that. So he runs and he tells Nathaniel, we found him. The one the prophet Moses talked about, the one the prophets have talked about, he's here. 
And there's a very interesting response from Nathaniel. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Which is a very interesting thing to say. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But we need to realize at this time that nothing was really special about the town of Nazareth. It's not mentioned at all in the Old Testament. There's nothing big about it. It was kind of off the beaten path. You know, there's, and what, pretty much what Nathaniel is saying here is, so you're saying that this, the Messiah is coming from Nazareth? Should he come from a large city like Jerusalem or the city of David, Bethlehem? Well, you're telling me he's coming from, from Nazareth, literal Nazareth? And then Philip just responds and says, come and see. Come and see if this is it. Come and see if this is who he really is. And so we see that in his excitement and in his joy that Philip runs and he goes and he tells Nathaniel. And it's just like me with my rollerblades. If you came in contact with me in the coming weeks of my rollerblades, you're going to know that I got them. In my, in my excitement, I went and joined. I didn't do it because I felt like I had to. I didn't do it because I felt like I was supposed to, because it was a duty. I did it out of joy. I did it out of excitement because I was so thrilled that I had my new rollerblades. They might be purple and, and black, and they might even be girl ones, but that doesn't matter. My excitement was so thrilled that everyone was going to know that I got these rollerblades. And we see the same situation here with Philip. In his excitement, he goes and he tells Nathaniel. Now, when we talk about in church about telling other people about Jesus, we get very intimidated by that. We get very scared about that. And I mean, a lot of time we see people on the street corners where there's like movie theaters or it's, you know, basketball games or whatever. And they're outside and they're just from the top of their lungs, they're proclaiming Christ. And we walk by them and we we feel like, man. I'm, I, just be a, I must be a horrible Christian. I must be so terrible because I'm not standing on the street corners and proclaiming Christ to everybody that I see. And we beat ourselves up and we get intimidated and we're like, this is just ridiculous. But I want you to notice in the passage what Philip does is he runs to Nathaniel. Now, we don't know that they knew each other, but from the, from the context and the interaction, they probably knew each other. And actually, if we look the story before, Andrew goes and tells his brother Philip. And so if you want to go stand on the street corners and proclaim the good news of Jesus, by all means go. But I think what this is emphasizing here is that we need to go to the people that we know, to our co-workers, to our friends, to our family members, that we go to the people in our lives that are in our sphere of influence around us, and we tell them about Jesus. We tell them about the goodness of our God. And, but let's just be honest, that's also extremely intimidating. Because we think in our minds, if we go to people that we know, what if I don't articulate the gospel well enough? What if I fumble my words? And what if it's just, it does more you know, harm than good? And they walk away more confused about Jesus and more confused about the Bible. Or really, what most of us probably say is, what if we go and we don't have their answers? What if they say something about you know, science that we can't understand? What if they say something very complicated or mention something that I just don't know the answer? And we think, oh, I'll do more harm than good for the gospel. The church would be better off if I didn't tell people about Jesus because I just, I can't do it. I, I can't articulate it well. I don't know all the answers. But what does Philip do when Nathaniel asks him a question that he doesn't know the answer to? He extends an invitation. He says, come and see. Come and see from yourself. You come and see if this is the Messiah. You come and see if this is the one that Moses and the prophets talked about. Come and see. And so we invited him to come. And that's my encouragement to you today. Invite them to come. Invite them to read their Bibles. Invite them to come 
to church, invite them to Jesus. We're not selling a product and we try to witness to people. We're not a salesman that are trying to convince people that Jesus is right. What we're doing is we're extending an invitation. We're extending an invitation for people to come and to embrace the Messiah, to embrace the one that has been talked about for thousands of years, the Savior of the world. It's an invitation. So I hope that encourages you today that when you go and find people, find the people who are around you, find the people that you interact with every day and invite them. Invite them to come to Jesus. But then the big question kind of, you know, hangs, hangs over our heads. Why is Jesus such a big deal? Why is it so important that, we, that we're so excited and we're so thrilled that Jesus has found us? And why should we be so excited that we go and tell other people about him? Even if he is this, this prophet that has been talked about for thousands of years, why, why is that such a big deal? Why is he, you know, we don't talk, tell everybody about Moses all the time. We don't tell about Abraham all the time. What makes Jesus unique that we should be so thrilled that he's found us and that we should be so excited that we go and tell other people? Well, Jesus answers that question for us in the following verses. Look what it says in verses 47 through 51. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we see Nathaniel approaching Jesus. Skeptical Nathaniel isn't sure if anything good can come out of Nazareth. He's approaching Jesus. And Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite at whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel's like, How do you know me? And Jesus said, Well, I saw you under the fig tree. And that's all it took. At that moment, Nathanael declares that you must be the king of Israel. You must be this blessed son of God. And so underneath the fig tree, we don't know exactly what that meant. That can mean different things in Old Testament times. Maybe it means that Nathanael was resting. He was taking a break under the branches of a fig tree. Maybe it means that he was uh, meditating. It could even mean that he was having a devotion. But whatever was going on, apparently it was enough for Nathanael to know that Jesus had supernatural knowledge of him. Nathaniel thought, there's no way Jesus should know that I was underneath the fig tree, but he does. And he is so amazed by this and so excited about this that he declares it. So he's skeptical a few minutes ago, but this interaction was enough to convince him, you are the king of Israel, you are the son of God. And you think at this moment, Jesus would say, that's right, buddy, come on, let's do this. But he kind of has a, another very interesting response to that. He says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. In verse 51, he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what in the world does that mean? Angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man? Now, even though... To fully understand this, we have to go back to the book of Genesis. I think Nathaniel knew right exactly what Jesus was trying to say because he probably had very good knowledge of the Old Testament. But for us to understand it, we have to pull back to Genesis chapter 28 and the story of Jacob. Now, Jacob, as you guys know, stole the birthright from Esau. 
And at that point, Esau was pretty upset, so he ran and was trying to, um, to kill Jacob. So Jacob headed out of town like any smart person would do. And we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 8, verses 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran, went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place, stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. He dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. That sounds familiar. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from the sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There is no other, this is no other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And so Jacob has this interaction. He falls asleep. He sees these angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And God gives him promises. I'll be with you. I will be your God. This will be your land. And after all these promises, Jacob wakes up and he goes, wow, this place is awesome. This must be the gateway of heaven. This must be the house of God. And so as Jesus is talking to Nathanael, he says to him, you think it's a big deal that I said I saw you under a fig tree? He said, truly, truly, I say to you. And then when he says the you there, if he was in Dublin at the time, he would have said y'all. Truly, truly, I say to y'all, it's in the plural, you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What Jesus was proclaiming here in all of his glory is that he is the gateway to heaven, that he is the house of God, that the dwelling place of God is found in Jesus, and the gateway to God is found through Jesus. That's why he is such a big deal. That's why we should be full of so much joy and so much excitement that he has found us. Because the house of God, the dwelling place of God has found us. And we should want to tell everyone that we know that God's found us. That access to God, gates give access. Access to God is here. The dwelling place of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God that we can know Christ, that we can have access to God, and we can have access to the house of where God dwells. That is absolutely amazing. And I love it how John, this is the first chapter of John. John is making a statement here. Jesus is making a statement here that we can know God. And so my encouragement today is I hope that you, I have two actions I hope that you do. I hope that you have a posture of praise towards the great God that has found you. And I hope that you go that you go and tell people, that you go and tell your sons and your daughters, that you go and tell your cousins, that you go and tell your coworkers tomorrow, that you go and you tell them and you invite them to come in. Because found people, they go and find people. And we have found the greatest treasure there is. We have found access to God. We have found the gateway to heaven. And it's only found in Jesus Christ. And we see the story continues and Jesus lives the perfect life on this earth. And the Bible tells us he died on the cross for our sins. 
in our place, rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, and conquering the enemy. So he's alive today. And so my encouragement to you is if it's for the first time, I pray that you embrace him. Come talk to me afterwards, any of the pastors that are here. We'd love to have a more of a conversation with you about that. But if you already know Jesus, I just hope this just stirs your affections for him, that it stirs your heart and your love for him, that you go home tonight and you praise him and you exalt him, that he is a great God that has found you in the midst of your darkness. And it says what we talked about in 1 Peter, that you were in darkness, that you were not his people, but he called you out of darkness. And why does Peter tell us that? So we could proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. So proclaim it. Proclaim it this week at work. Proclaim it in the upcoming months. We have a great God who's inviting his people. And the good news is we see that he has found us, so we should go and find people. But the first point is that he finds us, and he finds other people. And so when you are going to find people, you're just the vessel that God is using. You're just the vessel that God is using in order to, to save and redeem his people. So take encouragement in that. You're not by yourself, that God is moving. Bow your heads with me. God, you're great. Oh, you're so awesome. And I, I can't even begin to comprehend, Lord. It just, in my heart, Lord, I just, I'm convicted. I'm convicted because I don't fully understand and fully just praise you, God, that you have found us, that you have called us to go find other people. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just touch our hearts, motivate us, encourage us, that we have an amazing God. Thank you that we have access to God now. Thank you that God came to this earth to save us and to redeem us and to know us so we could interact with him often. Be glorified in our lives, Lord, and thank you for the opportunity to hear your word tonight. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.